1: is coach jen coming to you from the three horse living quarters recording bunker located somewhere in rural florida this month's certified horsemanship episode is a blast from the past as it's all hands on deck at the cha as they ready for the annual conference october 20th through the 22nd in Murfreesboro, tennessee sit back and enjoy this classic episode featuring grooming tips and tricks with longtime host of the monthly cha episode christy Landwehr and her guests, Kelly Wakely and Ann Brzezinski.
2: Houston, we have a problem.
3: Ability equals skill plus knowledge.
1: i got a bad feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association.
3: Missed it by that much.
4: How can I
1: change this to make it better the next time? Help you, I yeah. mm. Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association.
0: On today's CHA episode, it's all about grooming tips and tricks. But first, we speak with Jenny Beveridge of Troxel on what to look for in purchasing a helmet. Then Kelly Wakely guides us through clipping your horse. And finally, Anne I Braze- uh, I had it right there. Fraziki. Fraziki addresses everything for the care of the horse's coat, mane, and tail. And today is National Chocolate Caramel Day, so get yourself a Carmelo or two, and the calories don't count today.
1: Woohoo! <laughs> calories oh, don't count. I like count. that. I like it. <laughs> Welcome back, Third Tuesday, Christy. Thank you, Jen. I love being here. It's the fun part of my job. It's the fun part of your job. You are in the part of the country that has recently survived its biggest snowstorm in a millennia. How's it going out there?
3: You know, we're okay. I just feel bad for all the people now with the flooding and all their poor animals. Some of the videos and things that we're seeing, you know, it's just not good. But I'll tell you, everyone's coming together and they're trying to help everybody. So I really like that.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. we've we've seen a lot of very heartwarming Stories about people working together for the betterment of the critters and to get them out of the water and get them to high ground and get them food and things like that. So that's heartening, if nothing else. You're not getting a whole lot of whining and complaining, why didn't you get your horses out sooner and stuff. So
3: dealing no, with the problem at hand them.
1: rather than dwelling on mistakes that were water under the bridge, to use a bad reference. So you were. No, at- it is true, that I'll tell you, it's weird for me
3: to have a hurricane in the middle of the country.
1: Yeah, it's that that yeah. weird.
3: That's weird. You
1: just don't associate But they categorized with, it as that with cold weather. Yeah, no, you 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 do it with where you
3: are. <laughs>
1: You're <laughs> supposed to get these. I don't want them, Jed. We didn't. Yeah, we're uh, we're on a down cycle for hurricanes here in Ocala, Florida, and I'm okay with that. Yes, absolutely. Yes, and beyond hurricanes, as usual, you've been globe hopping, going to various and sundry uh clinics, symposiums, et cetera, et cetera. What uh, what have you been doing since we spoke last month? Since we spoke last, um, that
3: American Camp Association convention in Nashville was really good. And then American Youth Horse Council was in Idaho. And these are all things that anyone listening can attend. It's not just for certain folks because it's open to the public, which is pretty cool. And then got to go to the Appaloosa Horse Club. And I was pretty excited about that because you know I own one of them critters. So that was kind of fun to go to the museum and the horse club. I've never been there before. And we just signed an agreement with them. Um, so that's exciting for CHA and Appaloosa. So that was a good trip.
1: We so I've, that. I've, I've got an important question for you. I I talk to horse people every single day. It's kind of what we do. We talk about horse people and horses. And yet I did not know about either of those two symposiums that you went to. Is there... A place on the Certified Horsemanship Association website, newsletter, anything like that, that one might, as a member of the CHA, go, oh, look, there's something I can go to and learn more about my business or do some networking.
3: Yes, and. Funny you mentioned that. We don't put it on the website because we really do want you to be a member in order to get some of this information. Um, As an equine professional, it's good to know where all these things are so that you can maybe have a booth at them or go just as an attendee if that's useful to your program or whatever you run. So in our monthly e-blast, we will list all the different ones that are coming up for that quarter and their contact information
1: so people can
3: go if they like.
1: Good golly, that right there is worth the cost of membership.
3: Oh, you are good, Jen. I appreciate you very much. Yes, I would agree. We, we have a lot of kind of hidden benefits that once people get in, they're like, oh, that's good. And remember, you don't have to be certified instructor to be a member. You just have to pay your membership dues. And that's increased over the years. We're about 80% now that are certified equine professionals and 20% that are horse lovers or equine professionals themselves. They just haven't gotten certified yet.
1: Well, yeah, the, the value of networking with like-minded folk has not changed. A lot of it's very easy to convince ourselves in the in this age of social media that that will get things done. You can tweet and you can do Facebook and you can do Instagram and you can have websites. That all by itself is not going to cut it. You still have to meet people face to face person to person and what a great resource to use through the Certified Horsemanship Association to be able to get that and know about these things because they're all over the country all the time, and yet we don't know about them. <laughs> Well,
3: it's fun. I think we really are truly a handshake industry, too. I got to tell you a funny story. So I was at the Rocky Mountain Horse Expo, too, since we last chatted, and that's here in Denver. And I'm at the booth, and I'm talking to a fellow booth mate just over the, you know, wall. You know how you do the little Yes, you get to walls. know your neighbors. <laughs> yeah. So we're chatting, da-da-da. And up comes this lady, and she stops, and she looks at me. She looks up at our backdrop that says the name of our association. She looks at me again, and she goes, I know that voice. Ah! You're on Training (laughs) Tuesdays on Horses in the Morning. And I went, oh my gosh, that's awesome. So we had a great conversation. So talk about helping with the
1: networking. You guys are doing it so well. That's so cool. I love it when people go, I know that voice. Or I do that all the time when I go to either trail rides or to the endurance rides. I'll I'll be chatting with somebody and they go, I feel like I know your voice. Are you Jen on the Horses in the Morning show? Isn't that great? (laughs) that was really fun. I'm
3: like, this is so great. Cause you know, we just talk into the, you know, I don't know, into the universe So we're like, is anyone listening? Is Does anyone anybody listening? care? And actually there are some people that absolutely do. And your show numbers prove it. And it was just so much fun.
1: That's so cool. Well, one more quick thing that you were, you wanted to chat about before we get to our first guest, Jenny Beveridge, and that is the equine affair coming up in Ohio.
3: Yes. How much fun. So this is a big one, everybody. You know, it's going to be the t- uh, 11th through the 14th of April in Columbus, Ohio, and we're going to have a booth there. And we have Tammy Gaynor, our president, is going to be speaking on the Thursday and the Friday. So it'd just be fun for anybody listening. Stop by our booth and say hi. We're very friendly.
1: They're very friendly. Now, you've probably been to Equine Fair in Ohio before. Yes. What is your favorite part of Equine Fair, Ohio?
3: You know, when I first went, I loved their Fantasia in the evening. I thought that oh, was pretty. Do they pretty still cool. do that? They do.
1: Oh, that was fun. Yeah,
3: they that do. That's cool. that's pretty fun. And they were one of the first expos to kind of do something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was it was pretty awesome to see all the different breed and disciplines and the acts. And they really do qualify their acts. It's not just anybody coming. They they you have to audition. Yeah, it's curious. so yeah, it's good. Yeah, very good.
1: Cool. Now the Ohio show, if I remember right. Has probably better than average food options. It is yummy. It is yes. yummy. Yeah, some of the shows have okay food. Some of the shows have decent food, and Ohio's one of the better ones. So you do not have to pack your lunch if you don't want to. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> Frankly, when you go to the Harrisburg one, pack your lunch. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I. That born and bred. That's my that's my hometown over there. But the food sucks. <laughs> <laughs> food matters. Food matters. That's right. People, they need to get that through their heads that you need to have good food. Well, it looks to me like we've got our first guest, Jenny Beveridge from Troxel on the line. Let's have a chat.
3: I'm so excited to introduce her, Jen. Uh, Jenny grew up in the saddle and found her why in life after seeing the spot where a family acquaintance died from a head injury while riding her horse to a trailhead. She has been with Troxel Helmets now because of that for over 15 years, developing helmets that riders want to wear and is currently their brand manager. Troxel Helmets has over 4 million equestrian helmets to pick from, and they Troxel itself is the only physician-developed equestrian helmet line and the first to create a lightweight and well-ventilated. ASTM certified equestrian helmet which it introduced into the market back in 92. We're excited right now Jen as Troxel is now a partner of CHA. Woohoo. Yeah. Hi Jenny, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Yeah, we're doing great. So tell us where are you located today and what are you doing? I am in cold
4: Eastern Oregon right now. So I am in Union, Oregon, a little tiny um, ranching and farming town, the northeast corner of the state. So that's where I'm at today. And don't you have a ton of animals
3: yourself? Yes, (laughs) we
4: have a bunch of cats, dogs, horses, and cattle. So we're in the midst of calving season right now. So I think we have about, I don't know, with mama cows and babies, about
3: 600 head out there. So quite a few. That is a lot. And are they all the calves doing well with the weather?
4: You know, considering, yeah, we've actually been pretty blessed considering it's, it's been a tough go, but it's been all hands on deck and we have um, just a wonderful group of people that help us out. And so it's been, it's been going fairly well considering. So we're we're thankful, we're getting a couple of sunny days here. So it's definitely uh, been a nice break from the, the cold and uh, all the snow and ice and, But um, anyway, yeah, it's getting much better. So, yeah.
3: Well, let's dive right in because we're so excited to share with our listeners today more about Troxel. Um, I just want to just put in a little plug myself. I have never not had a Troxel. I've always had a Troxel. I have ridden since I was six years old, and that was the very first helmet my mom bought me um, a long time ago, mm-hmm. we'll just say. And we have I've always had one. And that's what we've used. That's and awesome. um, right now, when my uh, students need a helmet, I said, if Ariat, if Ariat's listening would pay me, because I do a lot of Ariat endorsement, too, on their paddock boots <laughs> and Troxel um, with their helmets, you know, those are the two brands that I am a fan of. So that's exciting for me personally, not that's just for great. CHA. Yeah. So, yeah, all right, awesome. No, we appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Jenny, what should riders look for when they are purchasing an equestrian helmet? I know there's lots of options out there.
4: Yeah, there is. I mean, I guess the the one thing that sticks out in my mind is is the first thing to look for is that it's ASTM and SCI certified. So, um, equestrian helmets on the inside will have a sticker that um, basically uh, notes that if it's an ASTM certified helmet and the current ASTM certification for equestrian helmets is F1163-15 and so it'll have that sticker on the inside and then there's another sticker to look for it's the SEI sticker and SEI is um, the safety equipment institute and they basically certify that that helmet does in fact meet that ASTM standard so definitely I would recommend as like a first step just making sure that the helmet is ASTM and SEI certified. Um, and it's an equestrian helmet specifically too. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later, but there's definitely some differences between the um, different certifications um, based on how the helmet's tested and what it's tested for and how it's tested. So yeah, so that's that that
3: would be the the big one for me is looking that it's ASTM and SCI certified. I would say without a doubt, that would be the most important. And then I know some people always say, oh, but you know, it needs to be well ventilated and those kinds of things. So can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit more about how Troxel sure. helps those folks?
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely a lot besides, you know, the ASTMFA certification. So basically, you know, when you're looking at all the different price points of helmets or the different styles of helmets, you know, that's when it just comes down to cosmetic differences, to be honest. So once, you know, a, a $30 helmet is going to protect you the same theoretically Um, the same as a $500 helmet. There's really going to be no safety difference per se if they're all ASTM, SDI certified. That means that, you know, those helmets have tested to meet that threshold uh, at at a minimum. Um, And then from there, you know, obviously you have the color differences, the the ventilation, you know, Troxel specifically, you know, we focus on making lightweight, well-ventilated helmets. Um, That's important for us, um, especially for our schooling helmets, our trail riding helmets. Um, and, you know, in even our show helmets as well. So, you know, ventilation and um, fit options, there's different mechanisms. Like, for instance, in the Troxels, we have the dial fit system. And then we also have a sure fit system. And we also have little flip tabs in the liner, which we called flip folds. And so a combination of those systems um, can give you kind of personalized comfort So some, you know, like the dial fit, some like the sure fit, it just kind of depends on your head shape when you put a helmet on, you know, so that's, what's really important actually is if you have a chance to put on several different styles of helmets, they're all going to fit everyone's head a little bit different. You know, some of us have more oval shaped heads, some of us have more round shaped heads, some are deeper or shallower, and the various helmet styles fit a little bit different. And it's just really kind of how your head shaped in comparison to the helmet. So I would definitely say, you know, if you have a chance to to put on different models and different brands, you know, it's
3: always a good idea, you know, to
4: find that one that's really going to feel the
3: best for your head too. If I can just interject about the dial fit. So I, my helmet is a dial fit and I'm very glad that it's a dial fit okay. because um, for those that have met me, and if you haven't, you'll know me because I'm really tall and have outrageous hair. So I have really, really, really curly, thick, crazy hair. So when I have my hair not straight, it's one. And when I have my hair straight, I'm a different helmet size by a little bit. So that dial fit allows me to only have one helmet, whether I've styled my hair straight and I happen to go out and ride or whether I have it all curly. So that's been really useful.
4: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, we hear that from a lot of ladies that, you know, their hairstyles change and that gives them that little bit of a comfort adjustment to be able to fit within that same helmet platform. Cause like the Troxels, you know, they come extra small through extra large, depending on the model. You know, but the nice thing is, is it fits a range of hat sizes within those um, those shell uh, sizes. And so it is nice because it does give you the adjustability. And, and, and even our headliners, all of our headliners have the little flip tabs, which are basically like a shim. Normally, you would have a separate shim you would stick in a liner. Well, ours are, you know, already attached. And so you can flip them under, re velcro them. And then it gives you that uh, um, additional adjustment besides like the dial or that sure fit. So Yeah, no, it's really handy. And then all the liners are removable and washable on our helmets, too, which is really
3: great. And they make it more comfy. I think those shims make it more comfy, for sure. Yeah. Oh, for
4: sure. Yeah, more padding, for sure.
3: For sure. So so I like this next question because, you know, I live in Colorado, so I have all things show up at my barn. Can I use this kind of helmet? No, (laughs) you cannot. Um, So can riders wear their bike or ski helmets?
4: Unfortunately, no, Um, that's a big one, Um, especially like with just kids starting out, you know, parents, you know, we all have so many expenses and we don't want to have to go out and buy, you know, this new helmet if they already have a bike helmet. But it really is important. Um, You know, equestrian helmets, the standards are much different. So, you know, first of all, when you're riding a horse, you're much higher off the ground. And so that's, that's the big difference, really. It's not your forward rate or speed. It's how high you are off the ground. So when, they're, when they established the ASTM standards um, for the equestrian helmets, you know, they they took that into account. And then they also take into account that we hit different objects when we're riding a horse. So they actually have different angle tests that they use to simulate um, a fence post um, and another to simulate like a horse's hoof. So when you're riding a bike or you're downhill skiing, a lot of times you're going forward when you have a crash and it's usually the top of your head. Well, when you're riding a horse, really um, you can come off from all different angles and then you're much higher. And so, you know, the protection that you need on your head and the protection that an equestrian helmet provides is quite a bit more than the bike or the ski helmets, um, just because of the way that we can fall and then the objects we can fall on. It's kind of interesting. Um, ASTM, they, they test the helmet um, and ambient temperature. They freeze them for uh, minus 20 degrees. They also heat the helmet to over 120 degrees. And then they also submerge it in water overnight and then test it. So they test them, uh, each of the helmets, with um, those four different ways um, just to make sure that, you know, any kind of weather that we're riding in or, you um, uh, you know, over time, like, you know, you say you're using that helmet for summer riding and then also for winter riding that's going to protect you the same. So it's kind of interesting that they they, um, they actually test them with those four different um, types of, uh, you know, the heat or the cold or the, you know, the wetness and such. So um, I don't know if they do that with the other um, helmets at all, but I just found that interesting with the equestrian helmets that they do, you know, do that. And then they also, you know, they use a flat anvil and then they use that sharp anvil and that sharp anvil actually simulates the fence post and the horse hoof. So um, that is definitely unique to the equestrian world. So definitely they do a lot more um, testing wise and they also test the retention because the retention system is what keeps that helmet on your head. And typically, you know, we all know that we've come off I mean, I know I've come off. It's like, you know, you have a tendency to roll, hit several different things. And so they want that helmet to remain secured. and then they also test to make sure that visor on the front of those equestrian helmets that they give that they're not potentially going to smash in um, your nose. So they do test that as well. So it's kind of interesting. you know there's definitely they set it up for the type of hazards that we have as equestrians, um, which are very different obviously than um, than biking or skiing. so
3: I think working for the testing association would be great fun. That actually sounds fun. Let's go ahead and torture this helmet as much as we possibly can and see what happens. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. We'll
4: freeze it. We'll heat it up. We'll smash it against things. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful that they do all that though. I mean, it really, um, it it really gives you that confidence to know that, um, that helmet's gonna, um, do the best job it can at, at potentially, you know, saving you from a
3: life altering, you know, head injury. So. Oh, it's such a good idea. Now, I know some of us, we have what we think is, you know, a climate controlled tack room. Like we live in Southern California, right? Mm -hmm. We think, eh, we don't have humidity. We don't have anything. We're just going to keep our helmet forever. So when should a rider actually replace their helmet?
4: Well, um, the rule of thumb is every five years. Okay, so, you know, um, and then also uh, if you've ever had a fall. So equestrian helmets are single impact helmets only. So if you actually have come off and you have hit your head in that helmet, even if the outer shell looks beautiful and shiny still and you don't see a crack, um, it, it does need to be replaced. So um, there's uh, the foam on the inside is EPS foam, and it's basically these little tiny styrofoam beads. It's, it's very similar to like what we um, keep our drinks in, like a cooler. It's, it's that same type of a foam. Um, it's just a different density. And basically, that foam um, absorbs the energy upon the impact. And so a lot of times they will um, compress down or it'll um, or sometimes it'll crack if it's that hard of an impact. Um, That's basically how it absorbs the energy um, and kind of slows your brain from hitting the side of your head and also protects like your skull from a fracture and things like that. So um, definitely, you know, if you've had any impact, even if it doesn't look like the helmet's been affected, if you ever came off and hit in that same area, again, it's not going to be able to offer you that protection. So um, definitely, if you've ever had a fall, a helmet needs to be replaced. And if you haven't, if you've been fortunate enough to you know, have your helmet and, and, and been riding for the last five years and everything's good, um, it's still a good idea, um, even though you haven't had a fall to replace that helmet. Just our sweat and the atmosphere and environment over time can deteriorate um, the materials, And so it's just a good idea every five years to replace it. And then if you're an active rider, like my mom rides every day and i mean i mean like hot cold snow rain whatever i mean she is like a true saddle warrior and i would say for her like every two years so like if you're using a product all the time um you know it's going to deteriorate faster than somebody that's just using it on the weekend so definitely you know the rule of thumb i'd say at minimum every five years to replace your helmet um of course anytime you have a fall you should replace your helmet and then if you're using that helmet like extensively i would say you know, every, you know, two to three years, you know, to replace it, just because, like I said, our sweat can be, you know, quite um, abrasive, you know, to materials and the sun and, and the cold and, 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 the you know, back and forth between those two. And so I definitely would recommend that. And the great thing, like if you do have a fall, Troxel has a two-year accident replacement warranty on our helmets, which is great. And we have several riders. We, we, we see some really amazing you know stories and we share it with our team because it's really inspiring that we're not just making a product to sell a product we actually like save lives and we save people from debilitating head injuries and it's it really it gives me the chills even to talk about it um when we get these letters and we get them i would say at least like three to four times a week we'll get some kind of a thank you troxel for saving my life or saving my kids life or saving me from like this horrific head injury, like yeah, I might've got a concussion, but you know, I'm alive today because I had this helmet on and it's pretty amazing. And we get a lot of those through that accident replacement warranty that we have on our helmets, which is great. So
3: Well, Jenny, that is, that is so important. I think more and more people these days are wearing helmets in all the different disciplines, which is also pretty awesome to see um, from our perspective, you know, as a safety organization, we of course like that very much too. Uh, So I think that you guys are doing wonderful work and I'm glad you've been around for such a long time. I think that that's also shows Mm -hmm. your, your stability and your care of the market. So where can our listeners find you and find out more about Troxel?
4: Sure they can go to our website troxelhelmets.com we have like a tremendous amount of knowledge there Um, just interesting facts Um, there's a lot of video links how to fit a helmet how to size a helmet where to find a retailer to go try on helmets so all that really good information and then it also shows our complete line that we have right now which is pretty um extensive we have everything from schooling to trail riding western styles barrel racer fun helmets um you know english show helmets that we've just come out with so that's all there
3: at thatchoxelhelmet.com. Well, Jenny, thanks so much for being on the show today and for being a new alliance yeah. partner of ours. We're thrilled to have you on board.
4: Oh, yeah. No, it's we're super excited. So, yeah, thank you. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Have fun in Oregon.
1: Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. There's lots of little things I didn't know about how they do the testing. That was really interesting. Yeah, she's very educational. That's why we
3: were really happy to have her on the show. You know, we said, "Oh, this is good. We're going to have some education as well as learning more about the brand."
1: Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know they they tested the harness system and all kind of cool stuff.
3: <laughs> there you go. Who knew? It was really good. I like the post thing that they have a certain way of testing if you come off and hit a post because how many of us ride in arenas,
1: right, and land on the fence? Or so that or that was rock. interesting. Yeah, because yeah, or a tree. Right. Yeah. Much more so perhaps than bicyclists who are likely to hit a hard piece of macadam. That's pretty darn smooth. So it's going to be a different kind of a a uh, test that they would need to do. Cool stuff. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Very fun. There we go. Now, switching gears. And and, uh, we're going to have a little uh, a little listen to some stuff about clipping. Fill me in. Yes, so we're doing grooming
3: tips and tricks today. So when I was at the uh, CHA International Conference in September, we always shoot um, three to five minute YouTube videos that are safety tips, and they're on our website at CHA.horse for anybody that wants to go listen to them at any time, totally free to you. But we just like this audio clip. It's me again. Sorry, it's not somebody else, but it was with a beautiful mare. Oh my gosh, I loved her so much, named Willow. And we were just talking a little bit about clipping the muzzle, clipping the bridle path um, for those that do that, and some safety concerns with your horse and with your clippers.
1: Cool, let's have a listen.
3: Hello, my name is Christy Landwehr and this is a safety tip brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Today I'm at Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I'm very happy to have my horse here, Willow, and she is a Czech warm blood. We're gonna talk today about clipping. You know, do you have to clip your horse? The answer is no, you absolutely do not have to clip your horse. However, every now and then you're gonna find that you might have to for horse shows, you might have to just because, well, maybe it has a lot of mane and you'd really like a bridle path for that halter to lay or that bridle to lay. So we're gonna have a conversation about how to do that safely and effectively. So, first of all, we're going to go and approach Willow and let Willow know that we're going to be doing something with her today that requires her not to pull back or get frightened or afraid. Very not a good idea to try to clip horses that are tied because they, that could upset them. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to untie her. You can either leave it in the ring like this. You can go ahead and put the rope over her neck. There's a variety of different ways that you can do that. I'm going to go ahead and just take the rope entirely out and like this, put it over her neck like so, just to get it up and out of the way. This way I still have an opportunity to hold her if I need to. Now my clippers today are right here. I'm gonna go ahead, this mare has actually been clipped a lot, but we're still gonna go ahead and go like this, turn them on, she already wants to check them out. Horses have a seeking nature, they're very curious, so she wants to check it out. So we're gonna start by going ahead and clipping her muzzle. Now a couple of things about the whiskers on a muzzle. They're how the horse feels things and senses things. So again, if you're not gonna to go to a horse show and it doesn't require you to clip her really close, don't. But if you want to clean her up a little bit like we're going to do today, you go ahead and I'm going to grab right here on the halter, knowing that if she starts to pull, I'm going to let go because I don't want to get stuck within there. But I am going to hold her right here just so we can go ahead and have a little bit of control over her. And you notice I'm not going to clip all of the whiskers off. I'm only going to go ahead and go a little bit towards her muzzle so that she still has these whiskers for protection and she can still go ahead and feel things because we're not gonna go to a horse show anytime soon. So this kind of gives you an example of just how to go around very gently and safely. Obviously, she doesn't care. Sometimes the horses are gonna mind the vibration, not the sound, so when you first do it, that might be an issue. You can go around by her lips, underneath by her chin groove, over here by her nostril, and you're kind of going with the lay of the hair, not against it, as we clip her. So now we're going to talk about how to clip the bridle path. The bridle path goes from right behind the horse's forelock back to the point on the mane where you want to go ahead and go back. Now on some breeds, such as the Arabian, you go back quite far because you want to show off the graceful arch of the neck and that's actually how you clip them from horse shows. But for most horses, um, so for this one for being a warm blood and also for your stock breeds, quarter horses and things, you only need just a little one. So that way you can have an opportunity just to let the halter or the bridle lay calmly against it. Now if your horse is wonderful like Miss Willow here, what I I like to do is I go ahead and just put the halter around her neck and that way I still have control over her at any time I can still hold her nose do what I need to do but she's still technically caught so now we'll turn it on again I put my hand over the bridge of her nose just to make sure she doesn't lift her head sometimes you can tape the forelock put tape here in case you don't want to accidentally clip it off that would be a bad thing to do but we're gonna go ahead because I can see I'm pretty tall with this mare And we're just gonna go ahead and go right here in between her ears, get some of that off. And then we're just gonna go back a little bit and just make a little tiny bit. Is that right girl? Little tiny bit of a bridle path. And again, we're not clipping for show. I'm not gonna be very fussy about it. I'm not gonna make it perfect. I'm just gonna make it where we have a nice place to rest the bridle or the halter. Now obviously, not all horses are going to like being up next to their ears, so I go ahead and practice that first. Make sure you can touch your horse up here no problem. Make sure that if you put the clippers up when they are not going on, make sure when the buzz starts, make sure with the vibration that you're out of the way, because if she does lift her head quickly, you'll want to be sure to be able to step back, still hold her, but not get in the way of her head. So a couple things about clipper maintenance. First of all, there are many different sizes of blades. This happens to be a size 10. The larger the number, the more surgical the clip. So a size 40 is going to be for getting in there. If you have a wound, you need to clean up, things like that. Don't use those for every day or your horse will not have much hair in that location. But when you go to like a 10 or a 15, things like that, that's for kind of day-to-day clipping. And we're obviously not gonna talk about body clip and things like that today. Just kind of the basics, again, of the muzzle and the bridle path. Now, as far as clipper maintenance, you want to make sure to put oil on your clippers. Um, it's very good, you can normally buy the oil directly with wherever you buy the clippers. And you also want to do a blade wash. You can actually put these inside a wash, make sure to do that. And there's a thing called Cool Lube. I love Cool Lube. You can spray it on the clippers if they get warm while you're working with them. Then it won't be warm on your horse and it also won't be warm on your hands. You can also spray it in all these crevices here to be able to get all of the hair out that might be stuck. So those are some kind of basic safety mechanisms. And then I think a big one that a lot of times people forget is this cord. Over time, the cord will crack and break and have a lot of issues. So it's a really good idea when you go to wrap up your cord. You can wrap it around your clippers, but don't wrap it incredibly tight and snug because that'll cause it to crack over time. Have it be more loose and then keep the whole thing in some sort of a protective bag, be it a Ziploc bag or a cloth bag. And don't keep it in your tack room where the temperature ranges from really hot to really cold. it in your house somewhere where it's kind of room temperature.
1: There we go. That's just an example of all the really cool videos that are available over there on the website. Tell everybody again what the CHA website is, Christy. Yes, it's cha.horse. Ta-da! Quick and easy. And uh, as you said, they're available for everybody. You don't need to be a member. But on the other hand, if you want the email blast last, that has all the cool stuff you can go to listing, you do want to be a member. <laughs> just I, I, oh. That just blows me away that all these really fascinating places that you get to go to through the CHA. Um, they're not gathered together in a place, but this is a place where they are. So. One of the things you get to get get to enjoy when you listen to the monthly Certified Horsemanship Association uh, hit 'em episode is that's what's what, fun. Is, is well, all it's the all the fun free, you get to have. And Yeah, they it's ha- the
3: all breed, all discipline thing, right? Yeah. That's what's cool about it, Jen. There's breed, never anything discipline. that's not allowed under the CHA umbrella. It's all
1: allowed. <laughs> it's all allowed. And you're here the third Tuesday of every month. And if you go to part partway down the page, you'll see a list of all the different. Uh, specific episodes that we do monthly and CHA is one of them if you click on that little icon all of the CHA episodes pop up at once so it's really easy to find them all just by themselves if you just want to listen to those specifically but we have a choco block busy show this month and Kelly Wakely, our next guest is ready I'm so excited to introduce her. So Kelly is a CHA
3: certified instructor who offers instructor um, instruction and training specializing in showmanship, hunter under saddle, hunt seat at competitive trail and Western pleasure horsemanship and showmanship through her KW performance horses in Gainesville, Florida area. She's also competed at events affiliated with AQHA. A P H A and Appaloosa Horse Club. She is the current equestrian director at Keystone Camp and Conference Center in Stark, Florida, and she also happens to be very involved in our CHA Region 7 as one of our directors. So welcome, Kelly, to the show.
2: Thank you, Christy. Good morning. How are you?
3: So good to have you on today with Jen and I. What's going on out there in Florida today, where are you located?
2: Uh-huh. Uh, Today, I'm in Stark at camp. Um, I'm typically here during the week, uh, the Salvation program that I work for, so business hours. I'm here with the horses today, so it's a little chilly this morning, but nice,
3: nice change. Explain that program so everyone listening knows what it's about.
2: Sure, absolutely. Uh, We are, um, uh, I am a CHA instructor, and our program follows the CHA guidelines for safety, and we take we do recreational riding primarily, and it's walk only program. Most of the horses are donated. Uh, they are all geldings, and those who donated to tax write off. And the horses provide um, in a in some aspect a therapeutic uh, outlet for guests that come through many um, that visit have many things, you know, different, difficult things going on in their lives. So they come through. And then in the summer we work with, uh, primarily inner city kids that visit and they're in a program too. It is a Christian based, um, program and it runs, you know, really well. And the horses are a big key player
3: in it. I know you've enjoyed it and you've been there for a while, but you've done many things. Um, I know you and I met at a certification clinic that you came to out here in Denver many years ago. That was fun. And I know you've been very, yeah, it's been a while now, but I know you've been very active in kind of the show world as well as the recreational world. So let's dive in. You know, the, the video that I had done, we only talked about clipping the muzzle and the bridle path. And I know we get a lot of questions on why would you bother body clipping your horse? What's um, what are ways to do that safely? And how is it okay to do it and all of those things? So let's dive right in with what is your opinion on why you would want a body clip?
2: Sure. Well, I can speak um, primarily for Florida where I'm based out of uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, something we do often, particularly if we are showing horses, uh, or using them or they're in training programs and stuff, because they do get hot and, keeps them from getting fungus and what have you, if, you know, they are, if they are clipped and, you know, it's, it's hard for them to regulate when it's, you know, super hot and doesn't really cool off, but mother nature tells them to get a coat. So <laughs> that's one of the you know main reasons here we do it. And I know up North as well too, they will. Um, so as far as safety, um, you know, you want to make sure that they're you know used to it and they accept the clippers and work through that and that you're working with a clean horse um, and that they're clean and, and, you know, just that's easier on the clippers and what have you with that. And you're working with a good pair of clippers, the blades are sh- sharp and, and um, able to do what they need to. Um, and you're the, I, I would say probably here, we, we pretty much do a full body clip and we'll blanket or a light sheet in the winter, um, if you want to call it winter, (laughs) um, it's different for you guys, but so we'll do a full clip, but there are many that, you know, choose to do like a trace clip or, um, I'm trying to think the um, there's a couple different ones that you can do, but the trace clip, they'll just do like the areas where they perspire mostly. And that, you know, then that still gives them some of their coat to keep them warm and in a more natural thing for them.
3: Yeah. I like the trace clip too, because it still leaves like where the saddle goes protected. I think that's kind of good too.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, and it, you know, it keeps them. So they're not, you know, to some, a lot, like here's a lot of times we'll clip to the cinch and stuff because it just, they get, if we don't want to do a full clip on it, like our horses, we leave because this is their downtime. So, and it's personal choice in what you're using them and they're not exercised so hard. Uh, they are older and most of them, you know, have some kind of issue. So, you know, that keeps them in a walk only aspect. So they're not, you're not getting the same level as if they were in per se a training barn and, you know, perspiring more and such where it it becomes, where you have to really think about if if you want to do that and just, you know, manage them with the blanketing, but here they seem to regulate and they are pretty much older horses, but they, they maintain pretty well. And I've not had any issues of them, you know, where they are cold and we haven't really had a, really hard winter
3: in quite some time so well and tis the season right now for the shedding yeah. so give yes. us all of the ins and outs of how you handle that <laughs> and what you do with that i'm actually covered in hair right now <laughs> <laughs> there you so, go <laughs>
2: uh, here it's like a recreational activity because i feel of course you know typically for all horses you know it goes off at the hours so In the fall, when it starts getting darker, you're going to start to see that heavier coat come in. And then as, you know, spring approaches and then disappears and then approaches again, you know, they get a little confused, but you'll get, you know, where the hair starts coming off. And then sometimes I feel like it's coming back because it drops, you know, 20 degrees in Florida. I know Colorado can be a lot like that, too. Um, So I, I, I shed all the time. I just believe, you know, I'm a firm believer in turning the coat out over and helping them out. And here we get a lot of rain too in, in the winter. It's been pretty, pretty dry and pretty nice. Um, just a little bit of rain um, enough for what we need, but you know, not too crazy. So um, we haven't had an issue with that, but I, I believe, you know, in every day, you know, turning the coat over and, so that way when it does get warm and you've had you have this big heavy coat and you start the humidity starts to come back up you're not getting fungus or, or skin issues and i also believe too in doing it because you pick up on wounds when they're real fluffy and stuff and they are kept out particularly in a herd like our situation you're liable to miss wounds and injuries and stuff because you can't tell unless you have your hands on them and working on the coat so for me i use like a small soft rubber curry and I do their legs and I keep an eye on, you know, big time for injuries and stuff and fungus they'll get, they'll start to get, you know, at the pasture and you have to kind of brush off the heel and stuff. They'll get greasy heel or fungus there in Florida. And then the legs I'll see, you know, at times, you know, I'll miss a cut or something if I really don't do it. And then for the body, I I'm a big fan of, you know, the shedding blades. I'll kind of use that a lot for, my, um, just like, you know, lightly, it, you know, they seem to actually enjoy it to get the main, you know, hair that's coming off and shedding. And if I kind of once over them every day, then, you know, and then follow behind with a hard brush, I'm getting quite a bit of hair off every day. Um, so I, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of doing that. And, and again, my, my thing is when they're so fluffy, a lot of times just from, you know, a management aspect, it's, easy to miss, you know, things going on with them, swelling or wounds or stuff too, if we aren't shedding. So, uh, the curry, the rubber curry for the legs, and then either a, just another bigger curry or a hard brush, you know, trying to get in circular motion. And I, and I have to put a lot of elbow grease into it, you know, on some of them, you know, some shed better than others. And as you, you know, get deeper into spring, it's much easier and it kind of, you leave wearing it. <laughs> Um, and then on their face, I'll use a small rubber or a face mitt. Um, and sometimes even the slick easy to really get into the face because a lot of horses here, once it starts to flip temperature and I'm sure, uh, deal with it up north too, the they'll, you'll start to see fungus if you're not really getting that hair off. So I would say the yes. slick easy, I use a lot, you know, in the grooming, grooming block this time of year.
3: We'll start shedding ours out probably here in a couple of weeks. They still, you know, we just had our little blizzard come and we might have another one next week, they're saying. So we're not going to shed out quite yet. But when we do, um, yeah. I'll tell you what's so cool. I do it outside and the birds will pick it up and use it in their nests. The hair.
2: Excellent. That's Isn't where it that comes. awesome? It's <laughs> when like when full it does, circle. Me-
3: yes, sure I they- love that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the only reason yeah, I know that, that the- is because I've seen the birds but then also my boys after the birds have left their nests you know um, they'll take the nest down out of the tree and we'll see it in it it's pretty cool that's excellent
2: that's good I'm sure and they come through here too they'll come through the barn it's very open so that's awesome and we have plenty of them around here it's very
4: uh,
2: we're out we're out and it's
3: pretty rural so we have lots of birds out here that's very interesting well, let's dive in now to a big part mm-hmm. of grooming, of course, is the hoof, right? No hoof, no horse. So what are some Correct. of your um, main things for that? What are some of your safety tips? Just give us the lowdown on how you handle picking hooves.
2: Sure. Uh, our horses here, again, being older, are um, they're kind of used to the routine. Um, I'm, I believe just starting from very, the very beginning with horses, say they, they are per se used to A routine and they're they're good and kind about picking up their feet um, as in our for the main part for our situation i'm a big fan of them being secured and i encourage that for others to always have them either if they cross tie great or you know um secured somehow if they're tied in the stall which whichever um i prefer them to be you know either tied out on the wall or cross tie just so you can get away from them uh you know they move or if they decide you know that they're not happy with what you're doing and, or they're sore. A lot of times you'll get them act out if they're sore. So secured and tied well is where, you know, I would begin. And again, this is on some, you know, horse that's used to it more. Um, and they're pretty kind about it. And I believe in um, doing it every day. I, I, you know, I do, it works out, I think to 44 <laughs> for me every day. So it's, you know, it's something I, with them being out particularly too, they pick up debris and the turnout, Um, you know, they can, you know, hopefully never that that happens, but a nail, if, you know, something was missed from a shoe that came off previously, you know, you would look for things for that. So that would be a big thing, um, you know, why, of why you're doing it. And again, like you said, no hoof, no horse. Uh, If, you know, they, we miss something or they have something stuck in their foot, you know, that can act them out, make them act out behavior wise as well too, cause they're uncomfortable. So, um, as you're picking the feet, I would recommend staying to the side, you know, not getting comfortable, even knowing the horse and having your face, you know, where you could potentially get kicked. Um, for little ones, I see, they always want to kind of either sit or, um, you know, when they're first starting out picking feet in the barn and stuff or get comfortable or kneel. I think that's, I've seen pretty much every beginner try it one time. So I stress to always point that out right away because you want to be able to get out of the way, you know, should they react or something spooks them. And of course, starting with um, closed-toed shoes while you're picking the feet, you don't want to be in the barn with flip-flops or something like that to where you can get stepped on and be injured as well. And on moving on to like a more difficult horse, I would recommend you know, having somebody, even if they are tied and they tie well, assist you. um, And, you know, potentially I teach them to go down their leg. I think most people do it that way so that they kind of just when you touch them, they're already thinking to, you know, put the um, foot, pick up their leg and put the foot, foot up. So you have it. And I think that's a good, you know, good way to go with them. So picking up, you know, to teach them well, but repetition wise with it, Um, and always ask, you know, if, if it becomes to where a situation where um, they're getting away with it, you know, to ask for professional help, because it's very easy to get, you know, kicked and injured if, you know, they're not used to it or not trained or not happy. And it's, you know, your farrier down the road will appreciate it and you'll be able to keep one, (laughs) you know, having them trained well and, and being able, it's a big thing for, in my opinion, is having them well-behaved and And safe, like you said, when you're doing it. So repetition with it, the more they do it, even ones that don't love it, you know, they kind of get used to it and they, you know, become more polite about it. Um, And a lot of times I think in my, yeah, with mine, it's soundness if, if they're being a little difficult, you know, they're just a little sore.
3: Yeah, especially I was thinking in the back end with the older ones, right? And letting them keep their hoof kind of low to the ground. Yeah. Uh, Do you have an order of go that you like, like left front, you know, left back, whatever? Or do you not? I do. Do you mix it up?
2: No, no. I I, I don't know if it is per se a racetrack thing, but when I was, uh, my dad did, you know, race horses, so I spent a lot of time on the track and I was always taught you just go around. So it's like I go front to back, move around to the other side, you know, carefully front to back. So, you know, cause I, you know, I teach everybody when they come in through the barn, you know, how to go under the cross tie, you know, correctly and, you know, um, undo it so that you're not climbing, you know, in front of the horse, you know, um, where if they move and stuff, they can jump on you or getting too close behind the horse, you know, your basic safety rules. So I, I think that's always in the back of my head. So I have just, I do have a system and kind of, I teach a you know, a client or, uh, you know, kids that come through and stuff, I kind of teach them that sequence um, for me. So I would, you know, start on one side, then go around, do the back. And then I rotate back around to the front, go there and then to the back. And that, it kind of keeps me, you know, out of, you know, forgetting and just, you know, going, you know, no. I would say like daunting under meet them in the front and stuff too, because I, try to stress to everybody, especially when they're tied and stuff to a lot of action going under in front of them. It's just, you know, dangerous because you just never know. They can spook even the best ones, their horses. They can react either forward or backwards. And, um, you know, when they're tied and they do that, it can, you know, intensifies too. you know, if they react. I think
3: it's so good when you get a routine because they will kind of partially lift that hoof for you because they know, all right, this is the next one. Right, and the good horses yeah. are so good about that. They're worth their weight in gold, the good school horses especially. So, Kelly, where can people you. find you? Um, I know you're on chainstructors.com, but where else is a good sure. place to find you and your program?
2: Okay, um, for camp we have, it is uh, Camp Keystone. Um, I think it's Camp. they have it Camp Keystone Conference Center, and that's located, again, in Stark, Florida, and that is a Salvation Army entity and i'm you know i'm here quite a bit as their equine director um i have my personal you know page um too i'm on facebook instagram all the usuals and also a page too i do um quite a bit of equine photography sale shots and stuff um also so i i have you know i'm i have a area too for that facebook and and um website and stuff so Uh, online, pretty much cover (laughs) cover all of it. But, you know, for this program and, you know, for camp where I'm at during the week, it it would be under Camp Keystone.
3: Well, awesome, Kelly. Thank you so much for being on the show today and chatting with us. It was a pleasure to have you on.
2: It was, Christy. Thank you. appreciate it.
3: Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Again, so
1: informative.
3: It's amazing what you think about with grooming. And like you said, there's different tips and tricks and just different things that you can do depending on, you know, what you use your horse for and why.
1: Yeah. And now I've got a quick question for you. I ask, I've asked, who else did I ask this question of? Don't remember anymore. Hoof picks. There's the old school hoof pick that's been around since, um. 1862, right? (laughs) There is the bristly brush hoof pick, which seems to be the current standard. Everybody's got 16 of those in their barn. And then there's the let's reinvent the hoof pick, these newfangled things. Where do you fall on the hoof pick (laughs) spectrum?
3: You know, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm kind of a moderate politically, and I guess I'm a moderate with hoof picks, too, because (laughs) I... I like <laughs> the hoof pick that's regular, but it has the little brush. You like I do the little like brushy the brush. hoof pick? Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of a fan of the brush. Yeah, so I'm not old school with no brush, but I'm definitely not all crazy. It has to be ergonomically correct for my hand stuff either, so I'm kind of in the middle.
1: You're in the middle of ergonomic. Okay, we have the brushy hoof pick, but we've got a bunch of them around. A little while back, somebody came up with a hoof pick with the brush on the back that also has a little tiny built-in flashlight. That's
3: cool. So if you're in the dark, you can see what you're doing.
1: Yes, because invariably. Okay, I like that. If yeah. you're
3: camping or something, oh, that's so good.
1: Well, invariably, most of the year, we go to the barn. And if the barn ha- barns invariably have poor lighting, and you go out there in the morning when it's dark, in the evening and it's dark, I, I kind of like that whole built-in flashlight thing on my hoof pick. But I've also recently discovered those little itty-bitty LED lights that attach to the brim of your ball cap. Ooh, fancy. Also very handy. That actually got me out of a a bit of a pickle once a few years back when I was picking out a horse's foot. I had a horse that suddenly came up hopping three-legged lame. Oh my gosh, it's it's legs broken, which of course you know that actually means they've got an abscess because when your horse comes in three-legged lame the next morning, it's 99.995%. It's not a broken leg, it's abscess. And what had happened is, believe it or not, an acorn had gotten mashed up into the, is it, do you say end in, Up into the frog in that little wedgie shape there.
3: The commissure, isn't commissure, it? Commissure, thank like you. I knew it was
1: uh-huh. a C. The so f- fancy. Mashed up in there. And that had actually mashed up in far enough to make that horse three-legged hop and lane. And the oh, only reason wild. I saw it was that little flashlight doohickey on the end of my hoof pick.
3: Oh. See, I really like that. That's that's really good because yeah, how else are you gonna see something like that? It's the same color as the bottom of the hoof.
1: Well, and it and normally if it's a rock, it makes a different sound, right? Then right, but the
3: acorn was the Wow, the that's kind of crazy. Pig, yeah, it
1: didn't make any sound. So there you go. Yeah.
3: There you go. How All the that? things that we can do. I like it.
1: Yeah. Well, it looks to me when I look at my computer screen, like our next guest, Anne, is ready to chat.
3: Oh, super, then I will introduce her.
1: So Anne
3: Brzezicki of Murphy Borough, Tennessee is CHA's current Vice President of New Initiatives. She's also a Master Instructor for us and Assistant Clinic Instructor. She's the former Director of the Equestrian Program at Middle Tennessee State University and also the former coach of MTSU's Intercollegiate Horse Show Association Equestrian Team. She's an AQHA professional horseman and whose clients have competed in the local, regional, and national shows throughout the years. She was honored as the 2015 CHA Instructor of the Year, the 2003 IHSA Lifetime Achievement Award recipient, and also their Regional Coach of the Year. So hello, Ann. Good How morning. Are How you? are you all today? Doing fine. Great. So <laughs> tell us what you just did this past weekend. You were busy.
0: Oh, yes. We uh, had the... Florida chapter, basically, of the Intercollegiate Horse Shows Association Western Semifinals Competition in Ocala, Florida, at the new and beautiful Florida Horse Park. It was a lovely event. We had college riders from California to Canada uh, and, of course, Florida. And, uh, excellent judges, Lynn Palm and Alan Mitchells were our judges, great management team, wonderful horses for the kids to ride. The competition was excellent. The sportsmanship was excellent. We just had a great weekend with really good people and really good horses.
3: So the next step is nationals. When and where is that going to be?
0: Nationals is the first week in May. It's, uh, Thursday through Sunday, the first week in May, in Syracuse, New York. And, of course, our nationals includes both the Western Horsemanship and the Hunter Seat Horsemanship. Um, It is also the 40th anniversary celebration for the Intercollegiate Horse Shows Association's partnership with AQHA as as, uh, one of our great sponsors and educational partners So we're really looking forward to seeing our friends from all over the country in both disciplines. It'll be a little chillier up there in Syracuse, but they've got a brand new facility, and we're really looking forward to seeing that and everybody getting together. It's right about final exam time, which makes it a little tough on the kids and the coaches, but um, it's the best time for us to have that national competition. They've been competing all year. Our season goes from September September through May. So it's it's not a seasonal sport for the colleges like basketball or football would be. It's an all-academic year sport. And it brings a lot of new people into the horse industry because IHSA takes beginner riders. We've got college kids that have waited all their lives to come and have an opportunity to learn to ride, as well as really accomplished uh, youth champions, metal McClay winners, and so forth. So it's a great event. If you're in Syracuse the first weekend in May, come visit. It's free to come in. Um, it's a great event. We'd love to have everybody
3: come. It is very fun to watch. I know. I I agree with that. Well, let's dive in, and to our topic, because you've been doing this for quite a while um, with horses in all kinds of varieties of disciplines and things. And we're going to dive into something a little bit different than what Kelly talked about as far as nutrition. We're going to start with nutrition tips to help your horse's hair coat mane and tail. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yes, there's a lot of things that go into having a great hair coat. Uh, genetics, of course, is the first one. And We can't do much about that. Once you've got your horse's genes are what they are. But we do know that some lines of horses produce much, very desirable hair coats and others not so much. So that's the first one. But the thing we can do most to make great hair, which makes grooming easier and presentation of your horse a lot better, uh, is to feed that hair, especially when it's growing, You know, you can't feed hair two weeks out from the horse show. You need to feed it when it starts to grow. So I would suggest that about six weeks before shedding season where you are, you up the game in the nutrition department with your horse's hair is made of proteins, amino acids, just like hoof is and muscle is. And we've got some great resources coming out now. There uh, several of the big nutrition companies have recognized that older horses tend to lose their top line as they get older. Um, they're, the way they use their body changes. And there are some wonderful new top line balancers out based on milk proteins uh, from whey and soil, soy, pardon me. And those make better muscle and the same ingredients are needed for better hair and better hoofs. So the couple I know about are um, Purina has one called Super Sport, which just makes a huge change in six to 10 weeks. Um, and Neutrina has one called Empower Top Line Balancer. These... Uh, ingredients really make a difference in the hair that you've got to groom on. So, And I'm sure there are some others, those are just two I'm familiar with. But feeding the hair when when it's developing every season makes a big difference. We also, you know, there are some things you can do kind of at the last minute. Um, Feeding fat, a little extra fat, like corn oil or vegetable oil, um, the higher omega supplements, flaxseed makes a great hair coat, but that is um, from through the skin onto the hair, it kind of leaves an oily sheen. It, it's not what the hair is made of, but it certainly will make a difference on the surface of the hair if you can feed about a half a cup of oil uh, in your horse's feet every day. Some horses just love it. Some you got to mix it up. They're not so much, but I've never met a horse that wouldn't eat corn oil. A little corn oil on his on his hair coat, and you can tell when a horse is being fed like that because when you rinse them off, they the the water will almost bead up on their coat. You know, it really does make a difference on the surface of the hair. So, what we put into the hair when it's being made and, and uh, every day's uh, care certainly starts off before the grooming, gives us a better opportunity to make a beautiful uh, show ready horse um, as, as we approach the, the show season.
3: I love the science behind it because that's important. You know, these are things that you have to feed from the inside out, right? And it makes it work. So I think that's really good. Do you have anything, Anne, that's different for main and tail, either internally or topically, that you want to talk about as far as product?
0: There's a lot of great products for mains and tails, um, and most of them work really well. I think you have to think about what are you going to do with your main and tail, and this is sort of a discipline-specific topic because, for instance, Rainer's, who like to have a lot of mane and tail, a lot of mane especially, um, are going to take care of their horse's manes a little differently than hunters who are always pulling and shortening and braiding and pulling on their uh, horse's manes, not so much tails. But I think some little tips that you can think of is um, if if you're going to try to save a lot of hair in the mane and tail, you want to protect it from getting caught on things like Fence boards or um, other horses halters or just things, every little thing that sticks out in the horse's environment can catch a hair and pull on it and break it. And if you want lots of hair, you're going to protect that. So lots of hair in the mane means you're probably going to braid the hair loosely, of course, because you don't want to pull out the hair or uh, weaken the root of the hair, but Keeping it contained where less of it can get caught and pull out is helpful. Same with tails. If you're going to be showing a in a discipline or a breed where it enhances your horse's look to have a big, long, flowing tail, you're probably going to protect that hair. Um, tail bags are great. They get destroyed awful easily. I'm a fan of real cheap, you know, if you can find a sale on, Tail bags, that's good, or just athletic socks. They might get wrecked every couple of days, but they're cheap. You can buy a dozen of them for two ninety nine at the flea market. So, you know, stuff like that is helpful. But keeping the tail and the mane hair um, clean and dry and protected uh, helps a lot. We some disciplines can add, you know, extra tail hair or um, even a, a big chunk chunk of extra tail hair to the horse and some can't but if you can protect their natural mane and tail it it's going to uh, enhance your grooming program by by a great bit.
3: So do you have certain brushes that you like to use on the hair or the mane or the tail?
0: Yeah I like a, a needle bubble brush uh, it's got kind of a rubber dome and some little needles coming out from that for the tail, especially, um, I could be a little rougher on the mane because I'll show a lot in the hunters and we are going to pull that anyway. So we're going to pull a little hair out frequently. We don't like to wait till the day before the show and have to pull out too much hair because it does make the horse's neck a little bit sore if you overdo it. But the biggest thing is the tails that you would use a... Like a handled brush, like you with your massive amounts of hair would use, you know, you don't want to pull all your hair out.
3: So no, I we don't would
0: use um it's right. So we would use a a brush that flexes, the needles flex because the base of it flexes and work from the bottom up. Uh people wanna especially kids, they wanna attack the tail from the top down. Well, that's just fraught with losing a lot of hair and becoming highly frustrated. So if you can work from the bottom up, you take a handful of hair, slide it, slide your hand down to the bottom of the tail and brush out the first six inches and then work your way up a few inches at a time. And that saves a lot of hair. If you can pull, you can hold that hair tight in your non-dominant hand while your dominant hand is brushing the hair out, you're pulling on your hand and not the root of the tail. So you don't lose so much hair Um, make the horse quite so antsy, and you have a lot more to work with when you're done.
3: Now, you had mentioned braiding for some disciplines. Uh, What tips do you have for those that braid the mane or the tail? Well, when it
0: comes to the mane, I think the biggest mistake that people make when they're learning to braid is they start with too much hair. You want the braids to be in small uh, gr- small increments. And when you start to braid, you don't pull down so much as across. It's pulling the each section of the braids laterally that makes the braid tight, not just pulling it down. If you do that pulling straight down, once you fasten um, your thread or yarn or rubber band around the bottom and let go, it kind of pops up and poofs out and it's not so tight anymore. So pulling the three sections of the braid laterally across makes it a whole lot tighter. Um, As far as braiding the tail goes, we braid the tail at our bigger shows. I don't like to braid the tail all the time just because you do pull some hair out when you um, braid the top of the tail for the hunter so we tend to save that for some of the bigger shows uh, the indoor shows in the fall Um, but you can do it all the time if you if you're careful Um, certainly if you get really good at it there's people who make a decent living braiding Um, at shows there's nothing like a professional braid but a lot of folks have to do their own you need to practice. I guess that would be my biggest tip ahead of time is to practice before the shows.
3: And it, you'll be surprised also at how long it takes. So don't leave it to the last minute. You know, I would say braid and make sure you know how long it's going to take. Cause that was my rookie mistake back when I first started doing it. I did not give myself enough time. And then I was rushing.
0: That's a great point. I've seen kids standing at the end gate trying to finish their mains and that's very stressful on everybody.
3: So, you know, we like to um, bathe our horses like Kelly was talking, which is a great idea right before you body clip them. And then, you know, after you come back from a ride sometimes, you know, hosing them off. But, you know, not all horses like that, right? So what are some of your tips on getting a horse used to a bath and or sponging? And then how do you wash some of the hard places like their ears and things like that if you need to for showing?
0: Oh, boy, I'm so glad you asked that question because this is one of my pet peeves I have seen kids who say oh my horse hates to have his face washed and they're standing back eight feet with the hose swinging it all around like they were washing windows on the third floor or something it just it's like well yeah I think I'd be fussing at that myself. A, a lot of times horses that don't like a bath um, have probably been approached pretty aggressively if you can start around their feet, let the water run, ease it up their leg. Um, certainly this time of year, it's hard because the water's cold. It's, it's tough to, um, give a, give a horse a pleasant bath with cold water. I don't much like that myself. Um, but maybe you can leave a bucket of water out to get, not if it's 32 degrees, but, um, If you're dealing with cold water all the year, you can leave a bucket out. Let it warm up a little bit. That helps, too. But if you can ease up the leg, up the shoulder, get their chest, scratch them while you're at it, make it a pleasant experience for them. When you start to work on their head, just just hold the hose steady on their cheek or on the underneath of their jaw. Most of them kind of like that. You know, they like a steady feel there. And then you can ease it up. Um, I've seen folks just ease it up and put it, just hold the end of the hose between the horse's eyes up on his forehead there and let the water run down. And the horses will fuss a little bit, but after a while it doesn't feel so bad. I think if you do this in the hot summer when they're sweaty, it probably feels good to them more often than it would in the winter. Um, But the biggest thing is don't attack them with the water stream. Let the water stream be sort of uh, patting them or, or stroking them rather than um, punching them. And most horses learn to like a bath. Some of the hard to reach places you would not want to get water in your horse's ears. Um, I'm a big fan of natural sponges. I love a natural sponge for working on horses ears. You know, they're kind of rounded anyway. And Um, They hold a lot of water. You can squeeze a lot of water out of there and still have some moisture to um, ease it down in the horse's ears. And and don't stuff it down. You don't want to stuff dirt down in their ears. You kind of want to um, scoop it out a little bit, roll the sponge as you pull it out. Some places that are important, if you're in a sandy place like a Kelly in Florida, i bet she'd tell you you're always going to Check between a horse's hind legs and hose that or sponge that off because little grains of sand can really rub a horse raw when they're they're caught between layers of skin. So um, the elbows up underneath the horse, I call them armpits. They're not exactly that, but you know they're kind of hidden. Uh, and up between the horse's hind legs are places where sand and dirt can get caught and make them sore and grooming is we always think of grooming is about making him beautiful but it's also about his health you know checking him over making sure there's no cuts or scrapes or rubs or sore places uh in places that it's not always easy to see you got to get down underneath look up at his belly lean over and look up under there keep a hand around the horse, uh but get down, don't get on your knees, but bend down and look up underneath there and make sure you're not missing something that's gonna bother the horse or affect his uh performance or his behavior because he's uncomfortable. Um, what have I forgotten there?
3: I think that's all great. I love the comment on the chafing because you're right, the sand will get them. And so, this is this kind of bathing and sponging is not just if you show. I mean, it's just something that you should be doing depending on where you live in the country and what kind of, you know, ground you have that your horse is living on, things like that.
0: Yes. And I'll bet you have callers from all over and they each geographic area has probably got its special challenges for grooming.
3: I would say for sure they do. Well, Anne, we appreciate this. How can our listeners find you? Besides that, our website, I know, is a really good place. Would that be the best place to find you?
0: Yes, because my email gets get to me wherever I am, and that's that's probably the best place. Thank you so much for that.
3: Yeah, so everybody, that would be chainstructors.com, and just look up instructors um in Tennessee, and Ann comes up or type her name in, and she will come up. So, Anne, we so appreciate this um, detailed talk on grooming. Uh, You brought it to a a really nice level for us all to understand that it's not just making the horse look pretty. It's making him feel comfortable. I think that was a great quote there at the end that you said. So I appreciate you being on today.
0: Well, you all have a great day and enjoy the spring weather that's going to get here
3: sooner or later. It will. It will. (laughs) Talk to you later. (laughs) Bye,
1: Anne. Bye-bye. Bye. more great stuff and handy, handy little reminders. It's like, Oh yeah, I knew. Oh, that's right. I knew that, but I forgot about it.
3: <laughs> yes. And I love the internal stuff. You know, I think we forget that we think grooming is all external. And what people don't realize is, it's just like us. What you eat is what you are. You eat McDonald's every day. You're going to look like it.
1: You're going to look right? like you eat McDonald's every day. So it's a same yeah.
3: thing with the horses.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's, we that don't want a, to eat McDonald's every day. Yeah, yeah. A a common phenomena I noticed especially when we lived up north where the availability of nutrients from the grasses the horses grazed on changed dramatically at least twice a year that when the horse is shedding out his coat his body has an a, an increased need for the nutrients to grow that new hair. And I always noticed that spring and fall, the horses were prone to losing condition because their bodies were using up extra nutrients, not just calories, but nutrients. There's a difference to grow in that new hair coat and that you need to adjust their diet accordingly. And then – Makes sense. Yeah. And then something I thought of when she said about um, when you're bathing their horse, it's not just about making them pretty. Something that the horses don't get to do through the winter months in both parts of the country is work up a really, really good sweat. And one of the things that the horses, that, that happens when the horses sweat really heavily is it actually loosens up the dirt that's down against the skin and it kind of gets... Right, it's a good thing. It gets pushed out over their coat. So keep that in mind when you give your horse a bath and he hasn't gotten good and sweaty... You're going to have to work a little harder to get that deep down stuff. You know, you're know, really That's a really get, good point. Yeah, you're going to have to get a grooming tool of some sort and really get the the soap down against the coat. That's one of the reasons I love to give the horse a bath after he has had himself a good sweat is the dirt, which is what you want to get rid of, is come closer to the surface. But because you don't have to use harsh soaps or aggressive grooming techniques, you get to leave behind a lot of the oils, which... Or what you want so it's the best of both worlds if you give them a bath after they're really hot and sweaty you can use a, a, a mild uh, product and a lot a lot of grooming and then you you end up with a shinier horse da!
3: and i'll tell you mother nature knows because this bomb cyclone that we just had here in colorado i think one of the reasons why it was so hard on our animals is it rained first because oh, we were 40 degrees yeah. so it rained so all the horses got wet Then it snowed. So now they're all shivering, right? Had it not rained, that snow would have sat on their backs like a duck with water. Because their coat has so much oil in it, and the and those of us that don't blanket, you know, it's not a big deal here if yeah. you have shelter for them. Big, puffy coat. But it was yeah. hard. This one was hard because it rained first. So I had all three of mine under their shelter with a bale of hay, which normally takes two and a half days to feed. It was one bale for that day, just to get them, just to be able to stay warm from the inside out. Because once they got wet, then if I put a blanket on them, it still would have been a problem. So
1: well, yeah,
3: correct. Yeah. Yep. So there's a lot you have to think about. So sometimes, you know, blanketing them when they're wet is not good. You have to feed them just more grass. Hey, here you go. Here's some more.
1: Here's some more. There we go. Well, great show. As usual, Christy. Well, it was
3: fun, Jen. Thank you for being on it with me.
1: Yeah. We'll see you again next month on the...
3: It would be... like I'm looking at a calendar. It's the third Tuesday. April 16th. <laughs> Right after go. my birthday, because my birthday's go. on the 14th. So, right after my birthday, I'll be a year older when you talk to me next, Jen. Woo-hoo.
1: I can't wait. <laughs>